As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is The Athletic Football Show. Welcome, everybody, to the Football GM Podcast. I'm Mike Sando, senior writer from The Athletic with the GM. We couldn't have the Football GM Podcast without the GM, Randy. How are you doing, Randy Miller? I'm doing great. I'll bet you could have it, Mike, really. I'll bet you could. And you probably wouldn't, wouldn't be the same. Me, but yeah, no. I don't know. I'm happy hey, to be a part of it. Trust me. Hey, so last week when we did this, we did it at like 4.45 in the morning because you had the XFL draft that day. And yeah. I just want to say what a shock it was to see you taking a wide receiver with 4-3 speed uh, with your first pick. Uh, tell us about your pick from Liberty, right? Yeah, Kevin Shaw, a good little player that was in the Bears camp. And uh, not to bore the listeners too much to death, but we may have drafted three or four of those fast guys, Mike. You, you never know how it's going to come out, but it worked out pretty good for us, I think. Yeah, that's right. And so Seattle Sea Dragons, right? The, yes. You're, you're yep. basically running the, the personnel there. Interesting draft setup, too. With like phases, they went by positions, right? So you were taking yeah. offensive skill first. Did you like that? Um, I think it, I always equate it to a little bit of drafting with training wheels. Yeah. Those of us that have done it for a while in the NFL, but I'll tell you what it was. It was a way to manage a giant database of 2,000 guys. Yeah. So it made it easier. It's not like we have a full NFL staff. So right. managing data is a giant operation for these spring leagues and these smaller setups. So it did do that. You know, we drafted skilled positions out of one draft. We drafted secondary after a draft. We drafted front seven players. So there were four or five different pools, which made it a little easier to keep track of in these uh, lower budgeted leagues per se. But if it was all in one pool, you might be able to take advantage of of a different team a little better to know when, because part of this in a draft, like NFL draft, right, Randy, is knowing when you can get guys. There's a whole knowledge there. Yes. (laughs) Well, that's why I say it, it. I would have loved to have had that but yeah, I'm not yeah. sure that would have been fair for everybody. So <laughs> I understand it. I'm a team player. I'll do however they want it, but I would have loved to have had it all in one pot. Believe me, that would have been fun. Hey, you know, one other thing I wanted to mention before we get to all of our great topics in the NFL was when we did the, uh, when you did the positional stuff going into the draft and said, whatever, Chris Olave was your top receiver. Or, last year during the yeah, NFL last draft. Year, yeah, last yeah, year, you, yeah. You, Kenny Pickett was your top quarterback, but you liked Bailey Zappi as a little bit later pick. Or uh, watch out for Isaiah Likely. He was your top 10 in the draft. There was an mm-hmm. offensive lineman I noticed, <laughs> or you, you, you tipped me off to, that yeah. we talked about that you drafted in the XFL. Yeah, it was kind of a sleeper guy for me in last year's NFL draft. A kid from Alabama, Chris Owens, who was the starting right tackle at Alabama. And he had been in camp with the Giants and Pittsburgh already this year. But yes, we used our first offensive line pick to draft Chris. I think he's got a chance to be an NFL player. And uh, versatility, played right tackle at Alabama, but he plays guard, he played center. So yes, that uh, draft prep that we grinded through last yeah. spring, Mike, help, might have helped me get a player or two in the XFL, unbeknown to us when we were doing it. Hey, this was somebody you, you thought had real NFL potential and probably still does. It's kind of interesting, yes. though. Beauty in the eye of the beholder and different offensive line coaches and what the combinations are. Um, sometimes you can get a guy. So that Well, would be the way it's worked out in the past, and I've been involved in two of these leagues, one in Salt Lake in the AAF, we had a defensive lineman who has gone on to play for the Denver Broncos, Mike Purcell, who has oh, yeah. made several million dollars and been a really good NFL player. 
And then last time around, obviously, the most obvious one was P.J. Walker, who we had in Houston, who yep. has done the same. So there will be somebody on yep. these teams who does exactly this. And I, I always tell the players that the first day we get together, I, I'm going to tell them, hey, somebody can be P.J. Walker. I don't know who. I don't know which yep. one of you guys. But if you focus on what you're doing, figure out how to do this, you could stand to really change your life. Uh, and somebody yeah. will do that. Very, very cool. Well, NFL-wise, we are not hurting for topics. We've got the Jets considering a quarterback change. We've got, uh, we're going to look at the NFC North today, maybe talk a little bit about the Rams. We've got the GM Notebook, a bunch of good stuff in there. I really like the stuff on the 49ers and Cowboys. We'll get to that. We'll get to the picks. We're not going to hide. We didn't do too bad last week. We've got some ideas for this week. We'll talk about the Thanksgiving games. But Randy, before we even get into our topics, while I was preparing, I did you of course, we watched the the Cardinals look so bad and losing, well, I think, 38 to 10 to the 49ers. Did you see the report here right before that their offensive line coach didn't come home with them? Did you see the that? The Cardinals offensive line coach see, didn't come home? See, this is breaking news. No, so I didn't see So they have it. fired. Yeah. This is on Pro Football Talk reported by the Arizona Republic that they fired offensive line coach Sean Kugler over something unrelated to the game. So maybe something happened down there in, in, in Mexico. But uh Wow. wow, for you know, he was somebody. If you've watched in season hard knocks, he he had his own little thing last week where they were uh, he was joking around with the tackle who had a, what they thought was a medical emergency, but it ended up being too much popcorn. So he, <laughs> I think he flashed up on the meeting room board a, a, a fake X ray and it showed a bag of that a bag of <laughs> popcorn in his you know lodged in his ribs. Uh, mm-hmm. But Kugler was somebody a couple of years ago when their line was outperforming expectations, got a little bit of run, got a little bit of play. Um, this reminds me, shoot, remember the Super Bowl down, uh, Super Bowl when Barrett Robbins disappeared down there. Yeah. But uh, I guess what happens in Mexico City doesn't stay there wow. because that's a major deal now um, for a team that's reeling to lose your offensive line coach. Randy, those guys, do you think Do you think Cliff Kingsbury's doing the run game for Arizona? Yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't Probably think not. So. I don't think you know, so. That's but a huge it tells deal. me maybe it's not as complicated as we might think either. Yeah. So if you can change your <laughs> offensive line coach halfway through a season, that – that says something, but I agree. That, and you said it when you said the Cardinals are reeling. They are definitely yeah. reeling, and this is an indication of more issues, I think. That's that's a shame, and hopefully he's okay health-wise. Whatever happened, Whatever we have happened, no idea. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, that's that's not a good thing when you're having to replace coaches for whatever reason, especially at this point during the season. Yeah, that was a crazy one. So we'll see if we learn more about that. We don't know anything. This was just yeah. just came across wow. now as we're recording this on Tuesday, a couple of days earlier than normal, which will let us get into some of the Thanksgiving uh, yeah. games. But first, let's talk a little bit about the New York Jets. And if you're not familiar with Randy's work on MuellerFootball.com, he's got a whole column on there where he lays out all of his uh, thoughts on it. But let's talk about this because – Zach Wilson, 9 of 22, they are in a 3-3 game, can't do anything with the Patriots, lose on a punt return. Um, And then after the game, Zach Wilson doesn't exactly stand up and say, my bad. Uh, He kind of did the opposite of that. What are your sort of, what's your take on the optics of this thing? and, And what do you think? Well, the optics are bad for more than Zach Wilson. They obviously make him look bad. But in my opinion, the optics are bad for the whole organization. If you go back to the game, we elected to punt the ball with no time really on the clock to a down straight down the middle of the field to a returner that runs it back in a walk-off fashion to win the game. I think most coaches would punt that ball out of bounds and move on to overtime because I think that's what was their goal. So we will see how that pans out. But there are plenty of fingers to point, obviously, most of them are coming at the direction of Zach Wilson. I think it's fascinating because what's going on with Zach Wilson really now and the level of critiques that have come his way are all things that this kid did in college really good, whether it's uh, anticipation, whether it's accuracy, whether it's processing from the pocket. These were all things that we all lauded Zach Wilson as having at BYU. He did a heck of a job then. So He's being criticized for things that used to be his strength. And so I always, as the GM, I kind of look at why. Why are we where we're at now? Obviously, I'm not making a case to to not hold Zach Wilson accountable. He obviously has been bad. He's acted immature after the fact. So I really don't think they have any choice but to bench him. But having said that, as a GM, I would surely have to look a little deeper too because is it the offense? Is it 
Is it the things that they're trying to do with him and ask him to do that don't fit? We just went through this with Justin Fields about a month ago, right? We were ready to can him and, and say he was a total bust because the offense didn't fit what he was doing. All I'm asking is that they probably have a few, a little more research to do before I think all the blame comes on Zach Wilson, but he's got to be accountable. There's been some talk, Mike, of if we bench him now, is it game set and match for Zach Wilson? I don't think that. And we've talked about that here. Yeah, yeah. I've seen Mike Holmgren bench starting quarterbacks before. I've been around Nick Saban who benches people left and right. And guess what? They need to get a little thicker skin. And it looks to me like this kid needs thicker skin anyway. So I don't think yeah. it destroys him. It's not the end of the world. But sometimes a step back for accountability reasons, maybe that will make him a little more humble. And I also think it sends the right message in your own locker room. So a lot of different angles on this one. Sorry to be so long-winded, but yeah, yeah, it's kind of the way it's shaken out for me. There's there's more to blame for me than just Zach Wilson, that's for sure. Yeah, and certainly when you have a team that's playing so well on defense, right? I mean, that, that at least no they doubt. fixed that side of the ball. That was an issue last year, too. So um, I think you owe it to your team, especially if he's playing poorly and then saying the wrong things. That's a little bit of a tough sell in the locker room. So the problem I think they've got is you want to go to Mike White? I mean, is that what well, you're looking at? Well, yeah, that's and right. I'd almost rather play Flacco. Uh, for, well, they already decided to do that earlier in the season. When Zach missed that time, they played Flacco. I know, but then they re... they, they So a couple weeks ago, they changed the depth chart. They announced that Mike White would be number two. And then Salah said, well, that's just if something happened to Zach getting injured, we would uh, we you know we, we would use it as a developmental thing for, for Mike White. I think if I have... Uh, if I have a really good defense, it wasn't, I mean, Flacco wasn't good, but he, he had more touchdown passes in one game against Cleveland than Zach Wilson's had in seven starts. He had four. <laughs> so yeah. the same number. So look, I'm not a huge Flacco fan, but what's your goal here, Randy, with this team, with this defense, it's not just all about holding Zach Wilson to account or doing what's best for his career. You're trying to, you got a chance to position yourself here, right? Down the stretch. What would you do? Would you, would you go to Mike White? Well, I don't know the particulars, but I do know this. They had decided earlier in the year to go with Joe Flacco for a reason. I think they they have a playoff team. I'm not drinking the Kool-Aid that this is a Super Bowl team like no. a lot of people are. I don't I think they're flawed and, and they're not ready for that much prime time. But they do have a defense that is worthy of them getting into the playoffs. So if you can minimize the mistakes you make on offense and if changing the quarterback helps you in the locker room and on the field, I don't think it really matters. I think they both have to play, um, you know, both of them as in Mike White and Joe Flacco, both of them have played a- enough to where I think you're going to be comfortable with either one. I think the message is that we're not going to stand for the Zach Wilson stuff anymore. But I will say this, and again, I, it seems like I'm a Zach Wilson apologist. I'm really not. Just as unproven as Zach Wilson is, is the offensive coordinator, Mike LaFleur. It's not like he's gone through as an offensive coordinator and been uh, proven to be really good at his job either. So everybody needs to stand up and oh, yeah. be accountable without a doubt. Yeah, and I don't yeah. know Mike LaFleur, but I'm just saying that yeah. Yeah. if I'm the GM, I'm asking a lot more questions than just benching uh, the quarterback. You know, Zach Wilson has 20 starts right now. I was looking at this. He's one of 41 quarterbacks since, I think, 2012 that have been drafted and had at least 20 starts. His stats are the worst uh, of the 41. I don't think his talent's the worst of the 41, right? No. There's a shared component to this that sometimes these quarterback stats are team stats too. And uh, you have to be able to look at that and see which is which. And well. I think what you're saying is, this guy shouldn't be this bad, even if he does have some flaws and immaturity and that sort of stuff. Well, he wasn't this bad at BYU, and they did a lot of things offensively that made me say, this is an offense that works. So, yep. you know, we've, we've said uh, on this podcast before that it shouldn't be out of the question that offenses that college kids thrive in don't follow them to the pros to make it easier on them. This may be a case where that needs to be considered at some point. Now, what about the makeup of the player? Because it was as I was putting this together, uh, some notes to this before I noticed that Albert Breer had a, a tweet that said, "Hey, by the way, Bears quarterback Justin Fields apologized to his team after Chicago's loss to the Falcons in the locker room post game. Told him the defense gave the offense a chance. The offense didn't get it done. Went a long way with guys after he'd played hurt. I love that sort of thing mm-hmm. from uh, quarterback. And I think as we look around the league and we see like you know, 
what's going on with Russell Wilson. Of course, his plays dropped off, but he doesn't have that ability to sort of connect and say, my bad, you know, I need right. to do better, even when it's not your fault totally, right? It's yeah. And and I love that somebody like a Fields would do that. I think that lines up with what we thought about Fields coming out, even if you had concerns about him in the X, Y, or Z, that was part of his makeup. I think one of the negatives to Zach Wilson coming out was, I don't know that he was like that. What do you think about him in that regard? And then how much does that type of thing matter? Because everyone's got a different personality, but to me, the accountability at that position um, seems like it should matter a great deal. Yeah, I think personality is one thing, but uh, being honest, humble, and your leadership style really matters at the quarterback okay. position. I think you've got to be humble. You've got to be accountable. Sometimes you've got to take the blame, even if it's not your fault. Yeah. You know, we saw that with Aaron Rodgers a little bit where he really, you know, he, he, he'll he step up occasionally, but the best quarterbacks I've ever been around are the ones that are not afraid to say, my bad, I played crappy. And I got to do better than that. So I just think it's a maturity thing with Zach Wilson. He's going to have to grow up. Hey, we all mature at different levels. Shoot, I'm 59 years old. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm probably not as mature as I should be. But others take time. Others get get it quicker. So we all mature at different, you know, times in our life. He's just got to learn that. And I don't know if that's part of Robert Sala's burden to 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 push on him whether it's the oc pushing it on him but the kid's got to grow up he clearly doesn't get it and that's a that's problematic which for sure what about the idea so this would be similar to me to like uh this is what a criticism would be of kyler murray right or some of these uh guys who come up uh especially it seems like nowadays i don't think I don't think coaching is as tough and there's and there's not as which is good. I mean, I don't look, I don't want anybody screaming at my kid un, unnecessarily, right? Or just being a total negative downer. But I think that uh it is I do have a question in my mind about how some of these guys are brought up and have so much success and they're recruited uh, yep. and, and they're told how great they are all the time. And you never really get a chance along the way for these guys to take their lumps or to be benched or any of that, because they'll just find mm-hmm. a new school. You know, yeah. dad will go find out a better situation for him or whatever, right? We see that at the youth level now. I know people just, I could name five people who switch schools or whatever. Their kids aren't even going to sniff the NFL. That's just the right. way that it is. Right. So can that, do you just grow out of that or no? This is the way, do you think Kyler Murray's going to grow out of it? Is Zach Wilson going to grow out of it? I or think it's this- harder for these kids because like yeah. you say, there's no transfer portal now. you got to live with it and you've got to have thick skin. Yeah. And sometimes it takes long, longer for people to develop thick skin if if they never get called out. Sometimes we just treat these kids like AAU basketball where they're yeah. you know kissing their butts all the time and no one ever gets better and no one ever gets coached. I'm not saying that's the way it is with the Jets because I don't know. But I would surely try to hold this kid accountable in some way. And if he doesn't buy in, great. That's not the only comparison to Kyler Murray I would make either. When I watched the tape of Zach Wilson last week, he looked totally unprepared and totally out of it mentally. He wasn't looking the right way. He wasn't timing his throws the right way. He was not processing at all. He might need that study hole clause that got made such a big deal out of with Kyler Murray because, you know, some of that has to go on the coaching staff as well. They didn't have him prepared, but he looked like a guy that had not studied and didn't get it last week at all. See, I think Sala has more credibility in the locker room and just as a coach who's got a good defense to do that, right, than Maybe. Kingsbury does. And and the other thing is they haven't given two hundred and some million dollars to Zach Wilson yet. So they've right. definitely got more leverage. I like the fact that Sala was obviously t- ticked off after the game and he's not out there making a bunch of excuses. Yep. It doesn't seem like for his quarterback. So maybe they can get that thing figured out in the meantime. Uh, we'll see what decision they make, how they do. Let's jump over to the NFC North. Uh, I like that. You put that down as a, a good division to discuss. And man, I got to tell you, Randy, I'm glad I'm not in the weekly game picking business. Oh, I guess we are. But <laughs> like, look, I'm not surprised that Dallas beat the Vikings, but 40 to three, my goodness. Yeah. The Packers have been, uh, you know, different this season. Lions, Bears. Yep. Where do you want to begin in this division? Because it, I think you're right. It is a good one to reevaluate now as we head into week 12. Well, I think obviously the biggest surprise is where the Packers are. I think you can pretty much stick a fork in them. Um, I just don't see them having enough margin for error to get to the finish line now without making at least one more slip up, and that would probably put them out. So I think that's the biggest surprise. Um, I think the Vikings were a little bit 
oh, what's the word? They, they were they were borrowing uh, more than they yeah. were spending. You know, as we go along the way here, they they had won so many games and everything had fell their way. Uh, the, I'm not surprised either that the Cowboys beat them. I am like you, surprised at the score. But the Vikings had won multiple one-score games that had carried into the fourth quarter and got every break, in my opinion, that you could get. You knew that wasn't going to continue. So I think they found their match. They found the style that they struggled with. But I think the Vikings are still a playoff team. The team that kind of surprised me more than anybody, obviously, was the Lions and the way they kind of manhandled the Giants. I thought the Lions uh, really lacked talent. They have the least in this division. But they are playing with passion. They have taken on the, the role of what Dan Campbell wants to do and the, the style that he wants to play. And I thought they Im, imposed their will against the Giants last week. So they flashed some, they flashed some, some ability to, to, to show spurts of being where they want to be in the long run. The other one is, is Chicago, and we mentioned it earlier. This team was out, down, done. The, the franchise quarterback was out, down, done. And now all of a sudden they have hope. Now they have excitement in the city. Now we're doing things that the quarterback can do. Um, so there's some interesting cases in a division that really has been not one that many people outside those cities cared about. So it's interesting yeah. to say the least. And, and now we have a couple of them even playing on Thanksgiving again. So it's going to be fun to watch how these teams finish because this will set them up for next year, at least the offseason for sure. So there's two of these teams that I want to drill down the most. One of them is Detroit because mm -hmm. uh, they've won three in a row. Before that, <laughs> I had done a, a note in a column last week or two, two, three weeks ago before they'd won that their record under Dan Campbell was worse than the final 24 games under Matt Patricia. You know, and, right. and so even though we liked some of the things they were doing, they weren't getting results. The defense was horrible. If you remember, they fired their uh, DB coach, which is yep. – Kind of unusual to fire non-coordinators, right? Usually during the season, if you make a change, it, unless it's like that Arizona situation where something obviously unusual happened, uh, you don't just say, hey, you know what? We're going to get a different running back coach or something. You know, it's, right. it's usually, hey, we're making a change of coordinator and we, we need to shake it up or, or whatever. So Detroit making that move was a little unusual. And then you saying, you know, that, that they dominated the Giants up front. Mm -hmm. Um that's really encouraging, and I wonder what is changing with them. What do you make of it? Because they're going to play Buffalo this week, and that's a tough matchup for anybody. Yeah. Um, but I'm kind of anxious to see how they, you know, they've got to have some more confidence now. How, how could they have been so bad on defense, and now we're seeing signs of physical play up front? Uh, yeah, I hear you. I, I still don't think their secondary is up to NFL standards, but for whatever reason— they have got play out of the front seven now. And it, I think they've tried and erred on a lot of different concepts and schemes on defense. Maybe they just finally hit on something. You know, it's it's like fine-tuning a car at a car race. Finally, they just hit on some setup that works and nobody can explain it. Well, in this case, when you watch the tape, they got after, like we said, the Giants up front. Aiden Hutchinson obviously is a good player. He gets an interception on his own blitz concept where he's dropping out of there. Um, another kid... Emil McNeil, a third round. Oh yeah, Aline McNeil. Year. Yeah, number yeah, fifty-four. Played up front. Yeah. He was he kicked the Giants' butts. I mean, those two guards. I bet you they slept good Saturday or Sunday night. The Giants guys, because this guy got after him. They struggled to block him. So some of this stuff came out of nowhere for me. But I haven't really studied in detail this group until the other day, and I liked what I saw. Now they've got to add to it. Their their linebackers are probably pretty ordinary. They still have issues in the secondary, but I think this is a team that. I think their aggression on defense and kind of throwing caution to the wind with different blitz and pressure packages paid off, at least against the Giants. Now, the Giants are an RPO team. They're a play-action team. Yeah. So a lot of blitzing and games on defense, uh, that's a good matchup for Detroit because it's not drop back, read blitzes, hot reads, site adjustments, all that. You don't do that stuff when you're running RPOs and play-action passes. So the Giants are limited as to how they could adjust, but... Definitely Detroit's game plan um, panned out better, and they put pressure, and I think you'll see a lot more of that down the stretch from a D Detroit front seven. Yeah, they have a, a safety they drafted in the third round, too, named Kirby Joseph that I've noticed a few times in the last uh, couple of weeks. Yeah, I think he had an interception, uh, or yeah, maybe against Green mm -hmm. Bay, or it might have been this last week, number 31. And I, I remember him in the first game, a little trial by fire, I think he got, you know, uh, or early in the year, 
uh, you know, he might have gotten taken advantage of a couple of times. I think Seattle yeah. got him on one, but but just I've kind of noticed him. I noticed a couple of players here or there. That's really encouraging because I thought for a while they were just going to come out of the season with, hey, we got our offense together, which is a big deal. Uh, but if they can get some signs of life on the defensive right. side of the ball, and we'll see against Buffalo, it's going to be tough. But just some signs of life, you just can't be yeah. terrible. And some kind of improvement down the stretch, then I can buy in a little bit. Yeah. Well, I definitely saw the flashes of it last week. It's to be determined if they can put it together again. But I like you, like yeah. you say, it was encouraging. Now, the Bears are interesting because uh, Fields has now had a little, bit, a little bit of an injury. And so yeah. they're going to have to maybe uh, – manage him and that's difficult with his style of play because just about all of his production is coming off being able to run the ball um so a little bit of a dilemma there but i like his just his makeup you get the feeling he's gonna battle through it if he can there's no doubt it is a big decision because it is his left shoulder non-throwing shoulder but this kid has shown signs as we've talked about the last month of being really special in the things that they're asking him to do. But they have to treat him with kid gloves. It's a it's a little bit of a teeter-totter effect because you don't want to shut him down because the development that he could get in these last six or eight weeks is critical. And, and you can't duplicate that any other way rather than to play. And part of playing in this league is playing with pain is playing under duress. Let's face it, nobody's 100% at this point. So everybody's nicked up. But you don't want to send the kid out there and have him compromised in a, in a fashion that can get him hurt worse than he is. So they may have to reel him in for a week or two. But I've heard comments around uh, some of the media sites about maybe they should shut him down for the year. I think that would be a total mistake. No, Unless yeah, the medical yeah. people just say, yeah. hey, this guy's not going to be better and he compromises himself. I would not shut this kid down at all. I think he needs to play as much as he can. But certainly he's going to have to protect himself, uh, obviously, more so than he has the last few weeks, but his game is his game. It's a lot like Josh Allen. You you don't want Josh Allen to shut her down yeah. either. That's just the way he plays. So interesting yep. to topic of discussion, I'm sure, in Chicago radio this week is what to do with Justin Fields, but he sure has instilled hope in that city, in my opinion. Absolutely. So they get the Jets, they get the Packers, then they get a bye. So maybe if he can just get through to the bye, you get, a, you get some time to – to, to rest and then a home, you know, then a four game stretch with three of them at home uh, with some tough teams in there, by the way, Philly, Buffalo. But I think without him, there's not a lot to really. No, I agree. Right. There's not a lot to really watch. Yeah. <laughs> no I, I think, think they have a lot of work to do on the rebuild still, but I do think he gives them a chance. And yeah. again, it comes down to how much do we commit to this RPO run style offense but I think it's one thing to commit to it now. As his confidence grows, Mike, I think they'll be less dependent on that because I do think yeah. he will become a more comfortable pocket passer, kind of like we've seen with Jalen Hurts. He 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 first was a run-first guy for a year, year and a half. Now he's kind of become a better passer because his confidence level is so high. I could see that happen with Justin Fields. In that once his confidence is there that he can play, he'll yeah. find ways to operate better from the pocket. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big juicy investment. Mmm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. Let's go into the GM notebook. What do you got there? Well, that's a good question. I think the biggest thing for me is we talked a little bit about Zach Brown and Zach Brown, Zach Brown band. I don't know how that came up. Zach Wilson. But in that game the other day against the Patriots, I saw really in a phrase that comes up a lot in the evaluation world is for these quarterbacks is do they look and can they see? In other words, when you get back in the pocket, you, quarterbacks that I see, they look downfield. 
but they don't see what they're looking at. And I found that Zach Wilson looked downfield. He didn't see coverage. He didn't see open receivers. He didn't see any of that. On the other side of the field, I saw Mac Jones doing exactly the opposite. He was in the pocket looking downfield and he can look and see. And that was a difference between these guys. And there's a lot of people that like to evaluate quarterbacks out there. Don't be afraid to judge what you think the quarterback is seeing. If he looks downfield and doesn't see open receivers running around, there's a pretty good chance he's not seeing it. So, the, so you know, he, he needs to find a way to anticipate openings. But you're going to see guys that are open. Mac Jones held the ball too long in this game. He took six sacks, I think, which was awful. But because of the fact that he could look and see, he was willing to take sacks, hold the ball, and punt the ball. Zach did the opposite. He overthrew people, he underthrew people, and he threw threw two or three balls that frankly should have been intercepted. So that was a big note that I took uh, this week in the GM notebook was just that that scouting phrase of does he look and can he see? And that's just an example of two different ways to view uh, that critical evaluation tool. And within that, so okay, that's a positive thing for Mac Jones. But when we look at the Patriot offense, it's one of the the biggest – drops in statistical production of any offense from last season. And that to me gets at maybe not Mac Jones, but maybe the whole coaching setup, all of that. I think that they'll be very interesting to see what they do this off season. Do they just stay the course and run it back with everything? Cause it feels like uh, Mac Jones, even if we don't think he's got this amazing ceiling to be a dynamic player, it feels to me like he's still being held back more than helped. Do you agree? I think he's regressed. I don't think he's as effective and productive now as he was last year under Josh McDaniel, for sure. So you can figure out why. Um, Obviously, the brain drain that left the building when Josh left, I think is an issue. I don't see the same Mac Jones. I think I see some hesitation. Um, I don't know how they go forward after this season. I know this. Bill Bill is going to do it on Bill's time. And I do think that probably warrants a discussion, and I'm sure they'll have one. But that's that's an offense that I know this doesn't scare anybody. It's one that really, for the most yep. part, has to score in 8, 10, 11 play chunks. You know, they don't get big, big plays. So it's a different offense. It's kind of a grinded out offense. And they've got to find a way to spray the ball around and, and threaten defenses better. I don't, I, don't see, I don't think they've been able to do that at all this year. Yep. What's next in your notebook? The game where Vegas and Denver played in overtime this past week kind of got to me thinking a little bit. Both have had tons of issues this year. Vegas, Denver, we understand. We've talked about Russell Wilson at nauseum. My question was, who would you rather be? I mean, you've got Hackett versus McDaniel. You've got Carr versus Russell Wilson. You know, you've got the hole that Denver has dug besides that in what they gave up to get Wilson and then paying him. I mean, just look at it. We, We were sitting here last week wondering, does Josh McDaniel survive? And they end up winning the game against Denver. And now my question is, who would you rather be? Would you rather be Denver going forward or would you rather be the Raiders going forward? Well, it, you, I think you agreed with me before the season. I asked that question before the season because there was so much hype on Denver. And I thought, shoot, I'd take Carr with McDaniels and Darren Waller and Hunter Renfro and Devonta Adams. Now a bunch of those guys haven't played and it's been a bad uh, situation for, for the Raiders. They can't win unless they play Denver. But I'd still rather be them. And the other part is the flexibility. They can have Carr next year if they want him, but they can get out of it too. So let's just say next off offseason, uh, Tom Brady wants to play with Josh McDaniels. And, the, and Josh is struggling to get the rest of that locker room to come around. And, you know, it's hard to be New England way and all this or that. He really needs a partner in that. And now Tom Brady, shoot, I think Tom Brady's going to keep playing for sure because uh, the only thing that was he, – he's playing well and he was conflicted with his family. Well, he's he still has his family, but he's divorced. So uh, if his – he's not going to have a, a, a wife with a vote in this thing. So to me, I would way rather be the Raiders for that possibility too. We can keep Derek Carr. He's pretty good. But we could also have one eye out there and say, oh, oh, Brady, you want to keep playing and you you come here or whatever we want to do. Maybe we trade Carr for – what could you get? you get a first-round pick for Derek Carr, right? Probably Easy. so. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, probably so. So I love that type of flexibility. Plus, I'd rather have Carr than Russell Wilson anyway. Well, and the, and the, the structure that you have, Carr, like you just mentioned, is way yeah. better. I think the part that makes me nervous, most nervous about Denver isn't necessarily Hackett. I think that can be rectified. 
even after one year. But the money that they gave to Russell Wilson for what they're getting now, that's going to be a hard one to rectify. And I don't know how that changes. I think probably the way that goes is if he continues to play like this, you probably have to just set him aside and, and make a plan to come up with another quarterback somehow, some way, knowing that Russell's going to be on your team because you can't cut him cap-wise, can't move yep. him cap-wise. Yep. And so you're just going to have to add to it and bite the bullet, which really makes you build your team with one arm behind your back. But I don't know that you have any choice because the $250 million or whatever it is that they paid him, the 130 guaranteed, you're stuck with this for another year or two. And, and I don't think there's any way you can – can move Plus, that yeah. contract or move him. So for that reason, I'm probably with you. I, I would rather be the Raiders, even though we've heard that the Raiders, you know, it's been a lot of gloom and doom, especially the last few weeks. Yeah, well, the other thing is, I, I think they should get a quarterback no matter what for Denver, because I, at the very least, maybe it helps me light a fire under Wilson. Maybe he comes back 15 pounds lighter or he comes back, you know, in, in a and you get a little bit more of the best of him because there's some pressure on him. I think there's yeah. been the opposite of pressure on him. It's all been about rust this, rust that, here's your contract, uh, all of that. I think they need to turn the tables in whatever way they can, which is would be impossible to do because he's got all this money. It's guaranteed, but not if you draft somebody. Because yeah. no, That's you got, the only, rec- that's the, the only, only way thing to you can do it. is put pressure on him. Yep, yeah, I agree. You're going to have yeah, to live yeah. with it because you're stuck with it and you're just going to have to add to it. Let me ask you this, and maybe this is just me and this is kind of off topic, but it seems like I've heard less from Russ, less from all the branding and all the other things that, you know, we heard from him so often, so many times. Is that just me or is that messaging kind of gone away? Have we come become a little more aware of our situation in Denver and maybe that it's not going so great to, to not be out in front of all these things or, or, or yeah. they're just other topics that have taken its place? No, that could be. Maybe he's been beaten down a little bit by it, uh, but I would sure think internally that they would have had the leverage through the results of the games and his play to say, let's just tone it down. Let's yeah. not do this. You know, my teenage son sent me this thing that's apparently a running thing on TikTok where a guy uh, with a kind of a deadpan delivery says, uh, <laughs> says how close Russell Wilson is to having as many touchdown passes as bathrooms in his house. Like, remember that thing came out? He had like 12 bathrooms in his house. And the yeah. guy's like, okay, after one touchdown pass this last week, he's got five <laughs> so he's on pace right now to get close to the bathroom total but and it's just ridiculous but like that's where it got to to where it's a thing of yeah. mockery uh and so yeah that, that's a good observation maybe he is toning it down i think that can only help him in that locker room too right um you don't want to be digging too much of a hole what else you got in the notebook well one other note that i had made was really based on what we've seen the last few days and really on sunday and monday the Forder niners and cowboys were two teams that i thought of that and this is just my opinion, might both be more adaptable to making adjustments on offense depending on their opponent and styles than the Eagles, who will probably be the number one seed in the NFC. And the reason I say that is because we've talked about it a lot. Styles make fights, adjustments, options, especially in the second half of seasons. It's all about coaching. They've got a few different ways. They is in Dallas and the 49ers that I think they can go win games offensively. I'm not sure the Eagles have a variety of ways. They have to play it a certain way, right? And so I just thought that maybe, the and there's no consistency here, so maybe the 49ers don't play like this every week. Maybe Dallas doesn't, but if they play like they did last week, I just feel like they might be better suited in the long haul to you know, adjust on offense, to make plays in different ways, to, to be flexible and be able to pivot to win games going down the stretch. Just my opinion. You yeah. have any thoughts on it? I do. You know, the the Eagles, to me, we all remember what happened when they got the playoffs last year. They were really exposed in the Tampa game and, and didn't look like a playoff team at all. Obviously, they're better than that now. Nope. I know that you have made notes that uh, Jalen Hurts has, you know, developed a little bit more in mm-hmm. the drop back pass game and that sort of thing. But um, I totally agree with that. I, I feel like they're not hitting a wall like the Vikings are, but they, but it's definitely looking a little bit harder. Um, I just don't know what them. else they can pivot to do. They've got to do things a certain way, a lot because of Jalen, but it seems to me like anyway, they've been less, they're less adaptable. I don't know if that makes any sense. Yeah, but we, but you wouldn't necessarily say that Jimmy Garoppolo is what makes the 49ers more adaptable, or maybe to some extent Dak helps make the, the Cowboys more adaptable. Why do you, what do you think is the limiting factor on the Eagles? Is it mostly Hurts or is it just something else? 
I think it's scheme more than anything else, and it is weapons to a point. Um, obviously, the tight end being out kind of hurts them a little bit, but I think the, the game changer for me in San Francisco is Christian McCaffrey, for one thing, the, the amount of versatility he brings in the yeah. passing game, the running game. You saw they worked in two or three backs last night in the, in the Monday night game, which I love. They just have a lot of things between Debo uh, and all these options that they have that give me the idea that that's going to be a little harder to stop. Um, I do like the fact that the Eagles have gone out, and this is a feather in Howie Roseman's cap, signing two big defensive linemen this week. You know, yeah. they both played with Dominic and Sue. Yeah. yeah. And they and they saw fruits of the of the of what they brought in already. So I think you gotta credit the Eagles for being proactive here and signing some guys that are gonna help them depth wise down the stretch. But I'm talking about from more of a scheme standpoint yeah. than a roster building standpoint. I, I like where Dallas and San Francisco could yeah. go. Yeah. In in what has always been a, a, a second half seasons based on coaches and the adjustments that they make. What I kind of like about this too is, you know, for a lot of the year we've talked about, oh yeah, you know, this weak NFC. Well, you know, 49ers get to be pretty good. Cowboys look to be pretty good. Philly's pretty solid. Uh, Tampa Bay in the second half of the season, we'll see. Yeah. I mean, I, I would guess Minnesota's better, eight and two better yeah. than they've been. I mean, Minnesota we kind of see is a little bit hollow, but. Yeah. But at least they're still a pretty good team. You know, as bad as Washington's been, they're not going to make a lot of noise. But they're kind of a tougher out right now. They're they're playing better. So it's going to be a little bit more interesting down the stretch. I did really like – it's hard to say against Arizona with the state of yeah. their team. But I think the 49ers have to feel pretty good seeing seeing it look so easy for Jimmy Garoppolo and a lot of things around them. And and maybe they got a few guys back from injury, you know. And yeah. uh, they're going to be uh, tough down the stretch. We'll see with Dallas. I, I thought with – Jerry Jones talking about the Super Bowl after the game. I just kind of yeah, thought that's, that's all you need to do, you know. Yeah, but, I'm, I'm kind of tuned out on those post-game yeah. press conferences from the owner. Just more more salesmanship, you know, and carnival. Yeah, but I think really, it's the wrong message. For, it's the wrong yeah. message for your team too. They yes, they just always scare totally. me. You've as you've said, you know, how do they handle success? I think they can't a, handle prosperity. I'm telling you, it's been a struggle for them. But so, that's brought on by the top. I agree. So now let, let's just see them against the Giants here uh, yeah. this week, and maybe they just you know, take it to them and, and we'll see. Uh, last thing in your, in your notebook is, is about the Cardinals, right? It is. And just what I saw at the end of the Monday night game, I saw a team that kind of mailed it in and people were talking a little bit about it on Twitter. And, and I would totally concur with that. I thought this team threw the white towel in yeah. the effort wasn't there. The physicality, they stopped playing. Um, I mean, this game was really over early and I get it, but you got to be professional and I didn't see that. I didn't see the Cardinals finishing a game in a professional manner. I just hate to see that really for in general for the game. But obviously for the fate of, of the coach and everybody else in, in Arizona, they, they don't need to see that. When guys are making business decisions, turning down, tackling it. I just I don't think the game benefits from that kind of play. I mean, it just it just stuck me the wrong way. So I had that as my last note for the GM yeah. notebook. And that's kind of been their whole thing, right? We, yeah. When you just go back with Kyler Murray and we joke about the clause in his contract, but it says yeah. everything. And right. just, you know, shoot, you watch the in-season hard knocks thing. And I'm just waiting to see somebody who's uh, just even the conversations between the coaches and the players that were on there. Was, none of it was a great impression other than Buda Baker. I mean, he's, yeah. uh, he's full for real. of a lot of passion yeah. and for real, yeah. but you almost feel like, you know, they need, they need more of that. No <laughs> they doubt. don't have enough of that and they don't have enough of it in the most important leadership positions with credibility. Right. That's and the key. So, yeah. yeah. It's, it's hard to call people out when you're not seen as totally credible and haven't done it yourself, you know? Yeah. Yep. No, it's really an interesting situation. Well, before we get to the Thanksgiving games, let's, let's get to our picks. Last week we did pretty well. I was 1-0-1, got Vegas uh, with three points against Denver. Not sure what coverage the Broncos were in there on that Dante Adams <laughs> <laughs> touchdown. Yeah, he no was about, wow. that was a punt return fair catcher. And yeah. then I I pushed with taking uh, Chicago with three points. Do they have to allow the 103-yard kick return? I mean, unbelievable. Yeah, I know. Darryl Patterson, that? good to go. You were 1-1, one one, got Carolina with 13 and had a few points to spare. Um, and then what happened... You, you lost on Philly with six. What happened? That game was closer 
than we thought it was going to be with Philly barely yeah. holding on. Philly Maybe was that, behind. Uh, yeah, Philly yeah. had to had to make a valiant effort at the end just to bring him back and and yeah. win by one point. So I didn't think it would be that close. Um, we'll see. I think I, I think either. the Eagles are a good team. I don't think Indy right now has what it takes to hang. So we'll see if they yeah. their team doesn't come up again in our picks here at some point. Yeah, I'm a little. I, I'm less. Everybody wants to talk about the Jeff Saturday deal. Let's let's talk about it in a month because I'll be honest with you, I don't see him having a giant effect on Sundays at all. So I don't know what they're really accomplishing other than we kind of have a den mother now and, and he's the owner's friend and and that is what it is. But I don't see a giant effect on this team. Uh, these coaches are, are grinding every day for the Colts and, and I'm going to give them the credit or the blame because they're the ones in the foxholes and have been there the yep. whole time. I just don't know what yep. difference Jeff can really make, you know. Yep. So along those lines, uh, I am going to take this coming week. I'm going to take Pittsburgh and the two and a half points at Indy. Just watching. Did you see that TJ Watt interception last week? Unbelievable. One of the best <laughs> plays I've seen defensively at all. Well, How did he blank. even know it hit his hand? He couldn't have watched it. It only went about five feet. Why don't you stand two feet away from the jug yeah. machine and see how many balls you catch? <laughs> I in know. The throat. That's what it was. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a reaction. Just a total reaction. Awesome. There were a few plays like that in that game. Just amazing plays. So I'm going to take that one. Now, I feel pretty good, Randy, because uh, I actually put in our little shared document here the the other two picks in before you did. And then you and you agreed, which is really the affirmation I need after last week. I probably would have picked the Vikings last week against uh, the Cowboys. <laughs> I agreed I independently, too, Mike, because I didn't no, look I at your picks. No, I know. Yeah, yeah, I know you yeah. didn't. I know you didn't. But I, <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, we, we're not copying each other. Believe me, we wouldn't. Well, I'd copy you. You wouldn't copy <laughs> no, me. No, but tell me about that. the other two picks that you have that we have and why you've got those teams. Well, I like Tennessee. I thought Tennessee kind of upped their level of game last week. If if Ryan Tannehill plays like he did last week, they're going to be hard to beat. At. They're going to be hard to knock out because he was precise. His throwing was on the money for the most part. He had one bad yeah. interception, but for the most part, he takes them to a totally different level. And they're really good uh, running the ball. We've always known that. So I'm going to take Tennessee. They're a two-point underdog to Cincinnati. And I've said this all this year. I haven't really been drinking the Cincinnati Kool-Aid. They're better than probably I give them credit for, but I just think they're a team that benefited from a lot of breaks last year. And I think this is a matchup made for Tennessee. For one, Mike Vrabel can play the underdog card at home. And I like their chances of making this an ugly wrestling match of kind of mucky muck. And, and I think that they'll find a way to prevail in this. Plus, I'm getting two points at home. I agree. Yeah, to me, I, after looking at it, I was like, wow, this is in Tennessee. And Tennessee's got the long week, right? They got the 10 yep. days because yep. they played. Uh, they Off they the Thursday night game a week Bay. ago, yeah. And then for your other pick, I agree with you. You've got Miami giving 11 against Houston. What do you see yep. there? I just don't see a lot of hope for Houston. I just think Houston is a total rebuild still. Yeah. I don't think they're going anywhere right now. They just don't have enough players. I haven't loved the quarterback. where His progress progress has been this year. Just been kind of up and down a little bit. I just see a team with really out much talent and character and direction. So I don't know what to think of Houston going forward. I know they fired a coach last year after one year. I don't know what happens this year. But I just don't have the faith that they can go down and do anything to slow Miami. I'm I'm willing to give the 11 points and take yeah. Miami. I just think Miami's going to score at will against Houston. I know that one should almost be bigger. Um, let's look at our let's look at our Thanksgiving games. Buffalo at Detroit. I think the Bills are a nine point favorite. You yeah. give the Lions any chance? I kind of give them maybe a puncher's chance in the game. But. I think that's a good term to use. I do. Buffalo, you know, just came from Detroit, decided to go back to Buffalo. So now they're back in Detroit for the Thursday game. So they've done a lot of running around. They may have spent a little emotional energy over the last 10 days with the snowstorm and everything else they've been going through. And Detroit's a little bit hungry right now. Plus, they're at home. They don't have to travel. I do think they have a puncher's chance. And would I be shocked if they hung in there? No, I wouldn't. Would they? Should they win the game? Probably not. But the way they handled the uh, the Giants last week up front, I give them a chance. Yeah, I think it'll be. This could be one like every Bills game where Josh Allen has to put the team on his back in the, in the second half, and maybe he's. I, I think he'll be able to do that. But they have yep. really been, uh, you know, they have really been through it with that Minnesota game, and then 
you know, the shoot Sean McDermott had to be dug out of his house to even get to this game, that which was yeah. moved to Detroit. Then you have the short week on top of it against a yeah. Lions team that's won three in a row. This is some great testing for for the Bills through this stretch. And if they get through it with another win, um, you know, that that's really impressive to me. We talked a little bit about Dallas and the Giants. Um, the Giants just are so limited offensively. I don't really see a great path for them to win this game. Do you? No, I agree with that. I think Dallas is riding a high, plus they're at home. These Dallas home games on Thanksgiving and Detroit, and it's been said in the league for years how much of an advantage it is. There's been a lot of sentiment throughout the years of trying to change tradition and pivot off of these home games for these guys because it is a big advantage for the most part, these teams playing at home on a short week. I know I've had teams going to Detroit and actually won and was with the Seahawks when we went to Dallas and won. So we found ways to win, but it is a giant hurdle for these teams to travel, uh, much like it is on Thursday night games during the regular season. So um, these are even a little tougher because you play earlier in the day on Thursday. You know, that early game in Detroit always is the first game out of the gate, and that's a noon start on a Thursday. That's a little different than a, you know, 8 o'clock start on Thursday night in, on East Coast time. So they tax you. Um I love the games. Obviously, we're football people, so we love some of these games. Some of my best memories are with teams going on the road and playing on holidays, and, and it starts with Thanksgiving. So I'm all for them. I just think it's an advantage most times for that home team, big time. Yeah, I want to see how the Giants kind of bounce back from that game. I think they've they played, they've held so many games to be close, you know, a lot of them. But I think we've seen some signs in the other direction lately they went to seattle and really got controlled it was not that close yep. and then they played the lions it really wasn't that close it was close early but they actually were leading the game early but not close as it went on so are they going to kind of run out of gas here and maybe be a little bit more of who we thought they were uh down the stretch as injuries attrition all those things uh hurt a team that's lacks the depth right they knew coming into right. the year they didn't have any depth uh, so maybe maybe we'll start to see that, and it'll be a heroic effort if they can keep it close. The other one is Minnesota is a two-and-a-half-point favorite against New England. It kind of scares me a little bit for the Vikings here. They lose Christian Derrissaw, their left tackle. Mm-hmm. Um, Cousins, no one's really talking about it, but he's not really having a great year statistically. They've just been winning. They're 7-0 and in one-score games. Hmm. We yeah. didn't pick the Patriots, but like I, we wouldn't be surprised if it went New England's way, would you? No, not really. I think the perimeter players for Minnesota are definitely uh, heads and tails, the best players on the field. We'll see how Belichick kind of takes them away. As we've known for years, he finds a way to take away your right hook and make you fight another style, and, and I'm sure he'll do that in this case. So we'll see. The difference being I don't see the Patriots with a pass rush like the Vikings faced last week with the Cowboys. So I don't think Cousins is going to be quite under the same type of strain. And, yeah. uh, you know, yeah. I, I think Minnesota should win the game, but I would not be surprised if if New England found a way, that's for sure. I think Minnesota's defense maybe, uh, you know, bounces back and and makes it harder for uh, New England. We'll, we'll see which way it goes. I, I, I lean a little bit towards Minnesota, but shoot, what do I know after Minnesota last week? I guess we'll find out what they're uh, – made of here a little bit as they hit a little bit of a tougher stretch. So yep. what else you got, Randy? We ready to wrap this thing up? Yeah, no, I think we're ready to roll, ready to get ready get, for some turkey some coming up here. Turkey, I'm actually doing a, I'm, I'm smoking a brisket. How about that? Yeah, Mixing I got a turducken headed my way, so we got it all covered. Then we're going to take some of the brisket and we put it into the chili. How about that? You ever had oh, brisket chili? Oh, I like it. Oh, I really man. like it. That is yeah. really, really good. So we'll have that for the next week. In the meantime, everybody, you can feast on Randy Mueller's content at MuellerFootball.com. You can find Randy on Twitter at Randy Mueller underscore. I'm Mike Sando, senior writer for The Athletic. You can find me on The Athletic and at Sando NFL on Twitter. Check out my latest column on Mike Brable, the Titans, with the rest of the league and learn from them. And Randy, have a great holiday. We will talk to you soon. Thanks, Mike. Happy Thanksgiving. This was The Athletic Football Show.